Hello and welcome to the Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's blockbuster movies, star-studded films, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Malika, Casey, and Will, and today we're discussing the latest film from Disney, Raya and the Last Dragon. We are going to get into the nitty-gritty of the plot of Raya and the Last Dragon, so this is your official spoiler warning. Here's a quick summary from Letterboxd. Sponsor us, Letterboxd. <laughs> Long ago in the fantasy world of Kumandra, humans and dragons lived together in harmony. But when an evil force threatened the land, the dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Now, 500 years later, that same evil has returned, and it's up to our lone warrior, Raya, to track down the legendary last dragon to restore the fractured land and its divided people. And here's a quick summary of some of the voice actors that voiced our favorite characters here. So we've got Kelly Marie Tran of Star Wars fame, voicing Raya, Aquafina as Sisu the Dragon, Gemma Chan of Crazy Rich Asians fame as Namari, Daniel Day Kim, most people know him from Hawaii Five O and Lost. He played Raya's father, Benja. He's also my boo. <laughs> He's also Clay's boo. And Sandra Oh, uh, Grey's Anatomy, Killing Eve, who played Verana, Namari's mom. Don't do Benedict Wong like that. Come on now. You have to give Benedict Wong a shout out as well. And we'll get to Benedict him. Benedict we'll Wong, him. Will's favorite actor of all time, playing Tong. He's a secondary character at best. No, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. So, guys, what are your first impressions? So, personally, I'm a sucker for Disney movies. So, any Disney movie is probably going to get, like, on a one to five scale, a point and a half bump from me. So I thought it was pretty good, not great. There were a lot of really good things about the movie, but maybe more problems. But I still enjoyed it because I, I love animated Disney movies. Yeah, well, I am completely on the same page with you. I liked it a lot and I enjoyed watching it, but I've definitely felt there was a lot of things working against the movie, but all the things working for it were so good that I was like, it's probably fine. But yeah, I would definitely say I liked it with an asterisk. I would almost say that if this were a live action movie, I'd probably come in and just say it was bad. But the animation and the fight scenes were so breathtaking to me that it like bumps it up to being at least a pretty good movie. Oh yeah, we're definitely going to talk more about the animation and the fight scenes specifically in Pitch Perfect later, but I'd be interested to hear, Malika, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I, I think we're all aligned here. We recognize it's a good movie. It's not a perfect movie. There were some elements that worked really well, and there were some elements that just didn't make sense. And so I think overall... It felt like a movie that was familiar in a lot of ways. And there were so many little things that I was like, oh, that reminds me of Indiana Jones, like all of the close calls when she's running away or like the the con baby and the monkeys reminded me of the penguins in Madagascar and the incompetent dragon, you know, like Mushu in Mulan. And then you've got like elements of a heist movie, too. So there's so many different things where I was like, oh, this feels familiar. This feels familiar. But I still thought overall it felt fresh. It could have easily felt stale and overdone, but it still somehow managed to feel like something new I was watching. And I was excited to watch it the whole way through. It was not boring. And it actually, like, my first thought after finishing is like, oh, I kind of want to watch that again. I feel like there was other things that I missed the first watch, which, you know, says a lot about the movie. So, you know, actually, I would say it was pretty good. Not even just good. It was pretty good, but just not great. 
Yeah, and what you said about parts of this movie being similar to like Indiana Jones, when I was watching it, I found there were certain parts where I was really like, yes, this is what I want. This is great. This is a fun adventure. The Indiana Jones type, the first time they found the piece of the Dragonstone where they're going through kind of the booby traps and then Namari and her henchmen show up and they have to escape that way. I was very much in a, yes, this is what I want, an adventure, a almost classic story of trying to find these pieces and put them together. But then other times it veered towards a direction that I was less happy about. There were other parts where they went to, say, the Spine Village with Tong that I felt were a little bit less along the adventure path I was looking for. And so that's why I feel a little bit mixed about it. There were parts I was really excited about and really liked, but then kind of followed up by parts that weren't quite doing it for me. Mm -hmm. What I really liked about this movie is what Disney always does really well, which is hit close to home, I think, for everyone. Like the whole theme of all of these characters, Boone, Raya, Sisu, Tong, it's all about how they lost their families, Con Baby, and trying to reconnect with their families. And smart play by Disney because every time they do it, it always hits. Like, yep, the found family hit, just gets you every time. Hitting yeah, a thousand really percent <laughs> of like communal lost family and found it coming together with a found family. Never miss. Yeah, and they had to hit you with the parent dying right in the first like 15 minutes, right? Like, also, I'm very upset we didn't get more Daniel Day Kim whatever. But yeah, you know, Raya obviously experiences the loss of her father after, you know, she's betrayed and the gem is stolen and broken. And it it's the event that says sets emotion, like, you know, the plague coming back and it's always going to get me. She loses her dad. He's like the most important person to her. And everything she's doing is to get back to him. Right. Like she's yeah. she's driven by recapturing that bond and righting the wrong that was sent to motion by her actions when she was just a young girl. And actually, now that you guys are saying that, a lot of the Disney movies do have a single parent or a parent dying early on. Like the only movie that's coming to mind where both of the characters' parents are alive is Mulan. Can you guys think of another one off the top of your heads? You know, Simba loses Mufasa. Cinderella only has, well, loses her dad. Technically, um, Hercules Belle has only two has sets a father. of parents. Oh, well, yeah, there you go, Hercules. Well, and Hercules. Moana, Hercules, Hercules. Moana does have both her parents, but she also loses her grandma. So grandma counts oh, that's as true, a that's true. I guess spoilers member. for Moana. I, I don't know if it's too soon. Uh, it's pretty early in Moana. Come on. No, I'm just saying like, if people haven't seen it because it only came out like four years ago. Right. Yeah. But those are just a handful, right? A lot of times losing your parent is such an important part of that character's journey, which is an interesting thing for Disney to kind of latch on to movie after movie. Yeah. And I feel like it's definitely more the rule, not the exception of like yeah. a, a young protagonist experiencing parental loss or some sort of authoritative figure that they lose going as far back as Bambi. You know, but, so, Right. Uh, yeah. But... Raya definitely took it to the next level where every single character lost their right. significant and family And I lost members. three people. I lost everybody. Con I baby. Lost my whole village, yeah. Con baby losing both parents. I didn't even think about that. Right. There's a but, lot of implications with Con baby. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about there. Con we'll baby. <laughs> but let's also talk about Sisu. She also lost people, right? That scene towards the end of the movie where... Her brothers and sisters make this ultimate sacrifice. They trust her to save the world. 
And I have to say, I have not cried in any of our podcasts for the last six months. But this one, that moment where the brothers and sisters are giving her the magical ball, oh, that got me. That's where I started crying. It was so cute and lovely. And anything with self-sacrifice, you know, gets me. So what did you guys think about the way they were suggesting that we have to just trust people almost blindly? It was an interesting lesson that they were trying to impart. But I don't know. I'm not sure if that was the lesson that should have been imparted. Yeah, I don't know if that lesson really was driven home by the events of the film as much as they think it might have been, right? So, like, yeah, there's definitely a sense of community that's driving this, right? Like, Benja, Rai's dad, he decides to invite all of the different leaders of the lands to come to heart to come together because they've been fighting for 500 years. So, obviously, he is driven by, hey, we're stronger together than we are divided. Why are we fighting? This is silly. And immediately he's proven wrong, right? Like Raya gets betrayed, the gem gets stolen, it gets broken. And then instead of coming together to overcome their mistakes, everybody retreats back to their own lands and deals with the plague in their own way, whether it works or doesn't work. And so it's just really interesting to me that at every turn where a character decides to trust and to be open and to be vulnerable, they're almost immediately betrayed and or like harmed. And we ultimately get to the final moment where Namari realizes that she needs to trust herself and not just do what's the logical thing to do. And she meets the sacrifice of Ryan and the others by also doing what she thinks is right in her heart. And yes, everyone gets saved, but no one who made a mistake really learns a lesson. Like no one's really taken to task for right, being not selfish. Real consequence. Oh, well, yeah. the, the consequences, everybody's turned to stone. But, but the then consequences when felt by back, people that were not wrong. So it doesn't, it's like, right, right. it's really weird. It's like the few bad apples spoil the bunch and then everyone gets saved. And then those few bad apples are just like, cool, yeah, I'm just like you. Like they don't ever really face consequence for their actions. Yeah, I hate to be the cynical one but it is the name of the <gasps> pod but it is the name of the pod but they didn't really show a lot of that character growth from some of the people that backstabbed which i also want to note that in the movie they kept on saying kicked you in the back i don't know if they were trying to avoid the phrase stabbed in the back but when Rai was like, Namari kicked me in the back a few years ago to get the dragon stone. I was like, okay, we all know what you're going to say. Just say stabbed in the back. But at the same time, there wasn't a whole lot of like progression or earning that trust with the characters. The message was almost like, put your blind faith in people and they'll right. do you right. And I'm... It didn't make sense. Like, yeah. uh, will they? Uh, that's maybe not I mean, a good honestly, message. Honestly... 2020 has taught me that that is not true. Exactly. (laughs) I feel like that lesson has to be earned in a way, and it wasn't earned. Agreed. Like you can't just, if you've been burned, like the lesson is don't trust people, right? It's not like, oh, just blindly trust them again and again and again. Also a very specific instance of you being betrayed by the same person multiple times. It's not like, hey, I was betrayed by person A and therefore I don't trust person B. What happened was you betrayed by person A like three or four times and you're like, ah, you wouldn't do it again, would you? And then they did. (laughs) Right, exactly. With Zisu herself, her character was a little all over the place, right? At the beginning, she comes off like as this incompetent dragon, like, oh, I'm just a strong swimmer. Like all my other brothers and sisters are the ones who knew what they were doing. I mean, I love that group project joke, but they set you up with like, hey, this dragon doesn't actually have that much to give. It's really going to be Raya who's going to save the day. 
But then that's not at all what happens. She becomes this like voice of reason of this voice of, okay, you have to trust people. And, you know, in the end, she's the one who's resurrected. Like it just kind of, I'm I'm not sure what they were trying to tell us. What was the ultimate message here? Completely agree. The way they set up Sisu was that she had the capability to be this really powerful dragon, but she needed to be ushered along to find her own inner strength or power that came with being a dragon. But what the movie ended up doing was setting up Sisu as this character that needed that character development, but then all of a sudden she was the one who was providing guidance to the rest of the group, and she was kind of the rock that knew the right path the whole time. And there wasn't really anything to take us from point A to point B. It just kind of happened. It's like it gave the character development for a single character to both Raya and Sisu. So you got like split expectations of where you thought both of them would go. And they didn't really end up where you thought they'd be. Again, ultimately, I still think the movie works. But it could have been stronger if maybe their character arcs were a little bit clearer. Mm -hmm. Or if, you know, even if you just didn't have Sisu. I'm not saying completely get rid of Sisu. But ultimately, it feels like... Raya just needed someone or someones to get her out of her kind of one track mind about getting her dad back and just kind of righting her own wrong into accepting that, you know, you have to bond with people and that community is going to be needed no matter what. And it's not always going to be perfect, but you need to try. Like it was always like you can't give up on trying to build community just because it didn't work the first time. So it was just really weird because they basically had Sisu become the vehicle from which Raya realized that, but it was at the sacrifice of, I think, both of their characters feeling a little bit more realized. Yeah, I think that if they had downgraded Sisu to more of a sidekick than a like a dual lead, I think that could have helped a lot. Well, I also think if one of them had their clear virtue from the start and their integrity from the start where... Raya was maybe a little misguided and then the whole time Sisu was the one who was bringing her back to the path she was supposed to be on or the opposite if Raya was the one who always kind of stayed the steady right path and she brought Sisu along to be the vehicle the magical creature that saved the day both could have worked but they both kind of had diverging paths that came together except Sisu's path came together much quicker than Raya's. And it kind of made for an imbalance in that, I don't know, like righteous light that's kind of guiding the rest of the group. Yeah, it kind of lessened the impact, I think. Yeah, and I think what could have helped with that as well is that with each piece of the Dragonstone that Zisu gets, she is able to take on a new magical power from one of her siblings, right? But it didn't like open her up into to some new understanding of the world. It was like, oh, cool. This is my so-and-so sibling's power. Like, da-da-da-da. You it know, kind I can like, glow. Right. There was no character arc for Zisu. I would just say that from the beginning, she seemed a little incompetent, and then you realize, oh, no, she actually has a lot to offer. But there was no, like, growth for her. Completely agree. What did you guys think of Aquafina as Zisu? Honestly, I was a little bit thrown, mostly because I went into the movie without having, you know, looked up anything about the production and everything. And so I thought the tone was going to be a little bit more somber than it ended up being. And it's not just down to Aquafina, but it was a lot more playful and a lot more light and funny and like more of a joke machine than I thought it would be. And it makes sense, right? If you're going to have Aquafina playing one of the lead roles in your movie, you want her at her best. And she's at her best when she's funny. But for whatever reason, like the tone leading up to her character introduction was like a little bit more somber than... 
everything that came after it with a few exceptions. So I liked it, but I was it was unexpected in a weird way. It's funny because I actually expected the movie to be lighter. It came off a little bit grim to me. And one of the changes that I would make, like, like Will, I'm a sucker for Disney movies. And part of what I love about Disney movies are the songs. And I think that if there were songs, it could have lightened up the movie a little bit. And you don't have to have like a ton of them crammed in there, but even like three songs, four songs, maybe one per the different lands within Kumandra would have been an interesting way to kind of show the culture, develop the characters a little bit more. And I think it could have like brought a little bit more life into it. I did read that it was a conscious choice, obviously, to not have songs because I didn't want it to kind of mess with the tone. But I don't know. I think it could have used a little bit more life. So I had the same expectation as Malika where coming in, I thought it was going to be kind of a joke fest with Aquafina, And I'm kind of torn on Aquafina. I think she's done some things where she's really great and other things where she's kind of too much. And so I was a little worried about Aquafina, but I actually think she was great in this role as Sisu. And it's very hard to tone the line for these animated movies where like a character is kind of goofy and a joke character, but they're also serious at the same time and you can still take them serious enough. I think they did a great job with Sisu, like towing that line of the joke character that has some more like modern jokes, like talking about a group project that you mentioned earlier. Yeah but also being a realistic and sympathetic character, whereas there are other characters in this movie that didn't toe that line very well. Shout out Khan, baby. <laughs> yeah, I would completely agree with that, Well, Like, if anything, if they had used Sisu's character in the way that she was developed as a indicator for how to structure and tone the rest of the movie, I think it would have been a stronger film for it. But yeah, I think Aquafina did a really good job because she did have those quieter moments where she was, you know, reflective of like, you know, the loss. And to hark back to what Malika mentioned earlier, she was helping be a guide to some of the other characters and help them work through their loss. So I think she did a really good job playing both sides of the coin. And ultimately the movie was better for having her character in the movie. I just wish that everything else around it was a little bit stronger. Yeah, agreed. What did you guys think about the relationship between Namari and Raya? I wanted them to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was supposed to be sort of the backbone of the movie, but it felt really rushed to me in the beginning. And honestly, in the end, too, it's like, oh, cool, they've made up quickly because the whole world is ending. I don't know. I feel like they need to have it out a little bit, right? You can't just get over betrayal that quickly. I agree. And I think Namari's turn from the bad guy to joining their crew or whatever and helping them save the world was a little too unearned. We talk about yes. earning trust. The real catalyst for her changing her viewpoint was just seeing Sisu. And that didn't really feel like enough character change or growth from Namari's perspective to all of a sudden be more sympathetic. It's like she saw the dragon and she was so overwhelmed by the possibility of a dragon being back that she changed her perspective a little bit. But that's not really character growth. Yeah, exactly. And she only really decides to so-called trust when the world is literally ending. Like almost everyone in her land has been turned to stone. Like there's a few refugees, but like this is kind of it. Like no other options. Either hope it works or yeah. that's it. Yeah, because this the gem was losing its power to fight off the plague. Like that was something we saw throughout the film. Was like the gem pieces allowed 
people that were wielding it to fight off the plague and that was fading away. So she would have turned to stone regardless. So I don't I don't right. really buy that this was to your guys's point an earned moment because what were her options dying and or being or doing the right thing and she had the opportunity earlier to do the right thing and she betrayed them and accidentally shot sisu because of it so yeah i completely agree it didn't feel very earned i also felt the influence of her mother verana was like never addressed and the yeah. fact that she was basically molded from a young girl to to like betray raya it's like I think that we should have spent way more time on that. Like how impactful that could be on a young girl's psyche that your love of something, which is pure, her love of the dragons is being used to deceive another young girl. And then to break into the sacred place, you steal a sacred object and then it ends up broken and it right. plague, it plunges the world into chaos for six years. And you still haven't like, no consequences, yeah. right? Like they just all party together at the end. Like, yeah. oh, all is forgiven. It was just so bizarre. It was like, yes, I appreciate the idea of building community and building trust and reaching out and having that be a lesson we want to teach to young people. But there should also be a lesson of, hey, people have to take responsibility for their actions. And that never happened. So it just, it felt right. really hollow to me, like the whole arc of her coming together and saving the day. I'm like, what else was she going to do? It flies in the face of the theme of putting your trust in people because mm -hmm. putting your trust in your mom is one of the most natural things for Namari to do and putting her trust in her mom plunged the world into this darkness. So it right. kind of flies in the face of the entire message of the movie. And at the end, when everybody comes together at heart, like, I don't know if I bought that too. It's like so neatly packaged up. I mean, I know it's a Disney movie, but still, right? You have like all of these people that were stoned. They wake up and they're like, oh, person, you're telling me that heart saved the day? Let's all go and party. Like they would take time and convincing and like you have years of prejudice to break down. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, and to compare this kind of like climactic moment to another Disney technically movie that uses a similar plot device with the MCU and the snap and half of the universe's population disappeared and then came back. They are leaning into the fact that five years of half of these people being gone will lead to trauma. It's not just going to be, right. hey, you've been gone for some number of years and now everyone's back and it's great. Like, no, there's going to be consequences. Like a child has been raising herself with monkeys <laughs> as sibling i don't know it's weird and like <laughs> it's weird. i got a lot of questions about the con baby a lot of questions okay you know what you guys i think it's time let's talk about the con baby well okay so i just too many implications with the con baby to overlook like spoiler first jb smooth award all of us con baby run away with the jb smooth award no other <laughs> Hands candidates down but so we have this baby who has a gang of monkeys and the monkeys help the baby con people. Okay, surface level, that's what we got. But when you look deeper, why is the baby conning people? Does this mean the baby has an understanding of human money? Why does the baby need money? Is it paying back debt collectors? Does con baby go and like pay rent? Does like con baby sit at home and agonize over how much money it needs and like hits the bottle too hard because it doesn't have the money to pay for its life? How does it sustain itself? Are these people taking money from a literal baby to give it food? Like, there's just too many implications outside of a baby conning people. All those people in that town just walk by that baby and is like, I guess that baby's fine. Like, no one took the baby in? 
I got a lot of questions. There's, it's <laughs> too much for me to overlook. And I understand I'm an much, adult yeah. with like, and this is a child's movie, but Con Baby was too much for me to overlook. And the thing is, like, unlike all the other things that I mentioned that felt familiar but were fresh, this particular situation with the baby did not feel fresh. I literally was like, oh, the penguins would have done this better for Madagascar. I just was not impressed with this whole situation. And I think that we could have actually cut this whole part of the movie, maybe even remove one of the five lands and cut it down to four, spend more time with Tong and Boone and Namari and Raya. Like there's so much more that we could have developed if we had one less. And I think this is a clear place to do that because I don't know how much value they actually gave us. There was that little heist bit, but some another character could have done that. Raya could have done that, you know? You Boone didn't need have to have it. them. It's the minionization of all animated movies. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this Every is minions. Every animated movie now needs its minions. It's little doll-sized tiny things that it can sell as merch. And it's the Baby Yoda, you know, mm. the the little thing that they can sell to kids and, like, ironically to adults as the small character that, like, it's like cute and unassuming. Right. Or, I don't know. That like persists. Yeah, but past Tuk Tuk was movie. adorable. <gasps> yes, you know? more Tuk Tuk. Tuk Tuk was great. Um, I something I thought awesome. about while watching this was Tuk Tuk was the closest like comparison to Appa from Avatar The Last Airbender that's been put to film yet. Of like just a super chill, great, <laughs> friendly, homeboy animal that you ride around and you're like Right. We all love Big in size, but yeah. He's always there when you need him. Reliable, for sure. Just warred my heart every time he was on screen. But also easily distractible. But (laughs) even though it's like lovable and friendly like that, it doesn't go past the line to like annoyingly trying to be too cute. Like Con Baby. Agreed. 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 Con Baby. So Clay, what would you say is pitch perfect about Raya? Uh, I think we talked about it briefly earlier, but the animation in this mm. movie is unreal. Amazing. Like, I, huh. So it, I've been going <laughs> through and rewatching like all the Pixar movies in order of release. And you can see the clear evolution of just like not just Pixar and Disney, but just animation as a whole, like how much it's developed by looking at how well it can animate water and movement. And this movie and the fight scenes in particular was astounding. I think a lot of people don't think about or notice direction in animated films because they're just like, oh, it's drawn. Like some people draw some things, but there are still people or a person who has to decide about what angle and what direction and the lighting and the way things are going to get stitched together. And it was very clear that there is a loving hand applied to the animation of this film, the choreography, especially. I think one of the screenwriters, um, Ki Quinn, is actually a martial arts expert and consulted on the choreography alongside a stunt coordinator named uh, Maggie McDonald. And they had uh, stunt fighters actually doing the movement so they can animate it properly. And it's just so apparent that they put so much time and attention into this because there are moments where there's close hand-to-hand combat. There's moments where you get like maybe like a tracking shot and you're seeing like the full scope of where the fight is taking place and the 
the setting is a is an integral part to like the fight choreography and it's just beautifully animated and it's and it seems realistic i i think yeah i saw that you know the the movements and all the the actual martial arts that were used were like based off of real fight techniques and it just looks incredible and i would recommend people watch this movie just for the way it looks it's a feast for the eyes i know it's an extra 30 dollars on disney plus on top of your subscription cost which is honestly kind of highway robbery but if you are going to spend that money anyway, you're not going to be disappointed visually with this film. Agreed. hundred percent. It was the fight scenes totally stood out to me as something magical to be witnessing. They were so beautiful and they're based, like you said, on real martial arts. And I believe the inspiration for at least Raya's fighting technique was a Filipino martial arts, which is so cool that I'd never seen before. All you wanted to do was watch them fight, which was amazing. Give me more and fight I, scenes. <laughs> I have to say that the other really cool thing was her sword. I just loved it. It was so clutch. I just thought it was just like the coolest thing. It, that's all. <laughs> it just awesome. Yeah. A couple things about the animation that really stood out to me. The first two are the animation of Sisu when she got her air walking or water walking power and they did just a little scene of her running through the air and then diving back down and that made me stop in my tracks and say that was amazing just that Mm -hmm. scene of her getting that power and watching her move through the air was so great and also the lighting when they went to con baby's town just it was like a very bright very colorful setting and it Mm -hmm. really stood out as being really beautiful but the thing i really wanted to touch on that i really liked was there were a couple times in the movie where they actually changed up the animation style like away from the 3d kind of semi-realistic animation style the first part was at the very beginning when they were explaining what originally happened to the world and they were using like the paper puppets yeah i really love that it was kind of a shout out to like southeast asian culture i know that that's like a historical thing that they used back in the day but also when they were going through the like the plan the plan to, yes the yeah. plan to oh yes and yes. they use almost like a comic book style of boone like going through and kicking people and it was like the <laughs> it was like, very pow. manga yeah <laughs> yes and yes. it reminded me of into the spider verse mm. and just the like a switching up the animation style which i definitely think that there is a market of people hungry for still animated but just kind of a different approach to that animation style we saw it with into the spider-verse and these scenes in raya where they kind of took a similar approach to the animation i thought were really cool yeah and it made sense thematically right like the the first instance of understanding the history of Kumandra and like how we got to where we are it makes sense because we're saying hey here's the storytelling technique that has been used historically for thousands of years that is talking about the history of this place that's probably thousands of years old so that made a ton of sense and then the scene when ryan friends are planning like how they're going to infiltrate fang it's all these fantasies right so there's a little bit of a fantastical element of like oh like what if it looked like this when we like broke in so like thematically made a ton of sense so i really like not just the use of different animation styles but having it be for a purpose and having it be part right. and parcel with what you're trying to convey on screen definitely agree would love more of that it just kind of breaks up just the the visuals of the movie like not to say that the visuals weren't great we already said that they were wonderful but it, it is kind of like 
more engaging when all of a sudden it, things are a little bit different and you're like, oh, like that's cool. And it just it makes you notice a little bit more. So I definitely think the direction and the art direction were just phenomenal in this film. Agreed. So I will admit it was hard to find some really fun facts. So I'm doing my best here. Bear with me. But one thing that I thought was fun was that Adele Lim, who wrote the screenplay for Raya, also used to write for Xena. So she's well-versed mm. on writing strong warrior females who have a vague relationship with another female. So <laughs> there's a history of that with Adele Lim. I remember watching Xena growing up. So big fan of that. And the other fun fact is that that for those of you who watched this movie during the virtual premiere that they had, you may already know this, but I thought it was super lovely that they had a couple of the actresses and Jonathan Groff thrown in there randomly uh, welcome Kelly Marie Tran as being the next princess to join the Disney princesses, which I thought is so lovely. You had the women who played Mulan and Tiana and Belle, you know, saying really sweet words and just watched it. And I cried because I thought it was so lovely. And uh, I think Kelly Marie Tran cried too. It is such a lovely thing to have this moment of inclusivity. So I'm glad that Disney celebrated it and then let us all be part of it. I, I agree. I thought Kelly Marie Tran was great in this role. And that Disney princess role title, that's forever. I mean, we yeah, still... That's what basically they were saying. Yeah. yeah. They're like, you'll own this forever. Enjoy it's like the an ride. honorary doctorate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it was the woman who played Belle, I, I'm going off of memory now, who actually said, hey, I was working on Beauty and the Beast the year that you were born. And like, here I am. I'm still like along for the ride. It was a really nice, like, welcome to the club moment. That's really cool. So we just discussed a bunch of stuff that we love about this movie. But Will, what would be the one thing, and again, just the one thing, William, that you would change to make this movie better? I know. I like to think I'm really smart with all these great ideas, so I'll keep it to one. Yeah. William, rein it in, <laughs> Rainer, keep it to one thing. So A is like our current timeline, where we are presently in most of the movie. C is the original history, how the dragon stone was made and why it was made. And then B is the recent history of Namari when they were kids stealing the dragon stone and breaking it. So I feel like either we could have started at point B where we have this dragon stone, Namari breaks it. It's six years later. She's trying to recover it. And then throughout the rest of the story, we kind of learn what the original purpose of the dragon stone was, why it's there, why it's important, why these worlds were split apart and why they're trying to bring it together. Or we could have gotten that early on and then been placed in our current timeline and learned what had happened to the dragon stone and why they need to collect all these different pieces. Right. It just, yeah. Through context. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like when all of those were condensed and put at the beginning, to kind of set up the rest of this story. It just felt like a telling of what had happened as opposed to us learning the story as the movie went along. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And even though I'm reluctant to agree with you, only because I thought it was really beautiful. I think, you know, the way you talked about the animation style, I really liked watching that piece of it, the original history being played out. But you're right. I think that they cut that out. They could have used that time elsewhere to deepen the story and, like, give those pieces of information. Like, there's so much time that Raya spends with Zisu that could have been a conversation she has to catch her up on what's happening or something like that. They could have spent that time better, I think. 
Yeah. And Will, I completely agree with your perspective. I definitely think it's possible to have a more complex narrative framework to kind of set up your story, but it just, you have to be really clever with how you do it. So it doesn't just feel like an exposition dump early on in the film. Right. And I, I think the writers need to have more trust in the audience to understand those plot lines as they're woven through, or just more trust in the audience in general. One line that really stood out to me that kind of showed almost zero trust in the audience's ability to understand a story was when they were at Fang at the very end and the stones were dying and Sisu had supposedly died and then the water was being sucked away and disappeared and the water is what kept away the drones. And Tong turns to them and says... Sisu died, so now there's no magic left in the world, and now all the water is disappearing. It's like, (laughs) you literally could have said nothing, and you would have understood what was happening. You didn't need to overly explain what was happening, why the water was going away. If you just let it happen. I mean, there was a fucking baby there. That baby doesn't know shit. (laughs) That baby knows too much. Damn The baby baby knows too much. I think the baby knows more than you think. (laughs) I mean, I guess the point, though, is that it's this is a children's movie. I was and just going to say it's the same weird, thing. Like, and we talked about it when we did Frozen 2. Like, I think it's this weird balance, right? Because it's not just for children, but it is also for children. And they need to make sure that some things are very obvious why things are happening. So, like, a 10-year-old watching this isn't confused. So maybe some of it's a little bit more, like, obvious. Oh, okay, thanks, Captain Obvious, but... Um, I think they have to just, you know, move the movie along. Children have a better understanding of those stories than like you give them credit for. Like they're able to understand those concepts. I I bet you a child would have understood if they just showed Sisu's death and then the water disappeared. I'm sure they would be able to understand, okay, this action caused this reaction. You don't need Tong to say, she died, so now all the water is gone. Also, I don't know how accepted this idea is going to be, but what if they just let Zisu die? Like, how powerful would that have been? Talk about trust. Talk about self-sacrifice. Like, that would have been the ultimate moment. Like, Zisu trusted Raya and Namari to do the right thing, and she's like, okay, okay, bye. Like, now it's yours. And she sacrificed herself. Like, wouldn't that have just, like, taken this to another level? Then instead of, like, all of these dragons coming back, and they somehow magically knew that Zisu was under the water, like, how did they know? They've been stoned. Hot take. The dragon shouldn't have come back. I agree with you, Melissa. Like if Sisu's sacrifice had been permanent and we didn't see the dragons return and it was just a lesson about humans learning to work together and build a community without needing to have like this external force basically being like, hey, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It would have been a lot more powerful of a message. Uh, So you guys, any final thoughts before we go into our ratings? My final thought would be movie at face value, not great, but it's Disney doing its Disney stuff really well. And it's animation turned up to 11. Really great animation. And so it's worth it to watch from that standpoint. Clay? Yep. I would agree with Will's assessment. I think I liked it a smidge more just because I think movies should be entertaining first and foremost. And I was very thoroughly entertained while watching it. And 
there's always going to be some sort of disconnect when you're basically just trying to take the Disney formula and apply it to different cultures. <laughs> and this movie in particular was an amalgam of a bunch of different cultures of Southeast Asia. So you're not always going to hit all the right notes, but I think for the most part, they were very successful. And I really hope that we continue having diverse crew and cast make these films. Like I think we're getting there in terms of, you know, there are definitely more diverse voices behind the creation of this film. But ultimately, I think the two directors are not of Southeast Asian descent. It's not always going to be perfect, but we need to keep driving towards that because we're going to be getting a lot more rich stories that are going to be reflective of the world at large. Because ultimately, Disney is a global brand. You need to appeal to all of the people that are interested in your product and that watch your films and love your films and love the world that Disney creates. So I hope that this maybe is successful financially, critically and all that, because I really, really want more of these types of stories being told. Yeah, Clay, I totally agree with you. I was so excited for this movie because we've never had a Southeast Asian character before, let alone a princess. So this was an amazing achievement. It should have happened way long ago, but it is what it is. I still wish that there were songs. I thought there were some really beautiful little details, the way they bowed, the way they put their hands in a circle. There were just so many little things that I just thought you know, just with such beautiful nods to so many different cultures in Southeast Asia, the hairstyle, the clothes, I just, it was gorgeous. I did love that tuk-tuk like grew to be her ride. That was super fun. That was a great detail. And the last little nitpicky thing I have to get off my chest is that at the very end, the main characters end in this like tableau when they all turn to stone. Why didn't they... Assume the position of everybody else with their hands. I cut. thought the same thing. Why? Tell me why. Especially because Raya really did. stood out to me. Raya did, and then Raya the did, but nobody else didn't. did. Yeah, it was weird. But why? <laughs> what is special about them? Um, if yeah. Anyone, <laughs> if anyone listening knows, like hit us and up. Boone in went our straight games. for the leg hug. He knew what he wanted. Yeah. So Clay, what's your rating? I'd give this movie a three point two five out of five dragon necklaces again really really enjoyed it i think it had more working for it than against it but there were a lot of pieces that if they had been improved this would have really bumped the rating up to maybe like a three and a half to a four stars for me but for sure in my the top half of my like favorite disney movies at least as it stands all right what about you well what would you rate this movie um i would give it a 3.1 giant fang cat creatures out of five but I do have to dock it point one because it had a actual fart joke when Con Baby was trying to squeeze through that hole in the fence and it turned around and farted at Raya. You got to dock it some points for that. So I'm going to land on <laughs> 3.0 giant fang cat creatures out of five. Also, the tootin' booms. There's another fart joke. Yeah. Too many fart jokes. Got to dock it. Yeah, that's only allowed in Judd Apatow movies. <laughs> True, because they're hilarious there. Malika? I'm going to give it a more generous rating than you guys did. I'm going to give it a solid four out of five Mm. uh, shrimp tails. I really did enjoy this movie. As I said, there's so many beautiful details. I think it was able to accomplish a lot. It wasn't perfect, but it accomplished a lot. And so I think it deserves the highest rating I've given in a while since we started back up. So good on you, Raya. Shout out, Raya. And that's it. 
As always, thanks for listening. You can follow us at Cynical Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook now at Cynical Podcast. And of course, follow our wonderful producer and frequent contributor, Aaron Kelly, at ak.audio on Instagram. Sponsor us, Letterbox. Sponsor us, anyone. Anyone, please. <laughs> we have 100 listeners and 1,000 downloads. <laughs> so we're growing. It's pretty good. Okay, bye. bye. Later.